verses 1 to 11, and you can find that on page 1015 of the Church Bibles. Starting page 1015. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. And thank you to Lewis for reading that so beautifully clearly for us. Five weeks to go to the coronation. Even though, five weeks yesterday anyway, even though the king has, wisely for these times, scaled it down from what it might have been, there will still, I'm sure, be a great deal of pomp and circumstance, of celebration and rejoicing, of pride in our nation and our British ways. I well remember our former Prime Minister, Harold Wilson, saying that we as a nation were blessed in two ways. One, because we have the institution of the monarchy, and two, because of the person who was then our monarch, Elizabeth herself. What do you think? Are we blessed to live in the United Kingdom? Are we blessed to have Charles himself as our king? My suspicion is that a majority of the British people would still answer yes to both questions. But as we all know, there is certainly a substantial minority who would say no, no. When the Queen died last September and Charles was immediately proclaimed King, I remember seeing on the TV a protester with a big banner which read, not my King. Of course, he was not alone. A great many people feel exactly the same. They do not want a king or a queen or a royal family. They believe we would be much better off as a democratic republic like France or Germany, the USA or Canada. Let's think about their position for a moment. From one point of view, those protesters are expressing perfectly valid feelings that is how they see things, and they have every right to say so in any non-violent way and to hope that others will come and join them in their honest convictions. 
From another point of view, however, the message, not my king, is objectively untrue. It is a false claim. For the fact is that Charles is now king over each and every citizen of the UK, whether anyone likes it or not. Indeed, we can go further and see and say that, there, that those Republican protesters find themselves in a very awkward logical dilemma. They have a choice between emigration on the one hand or living with an uncomfortable inconsistency on the other hand, albeit not of their own making. The only way to make not my king come objectively true would be to up sticks, renounce their British citizenship and go off to live in another country and apply for a new nationality there. That would be a very costly decision. That's a lot to ask of anyone born and brought up here in Britain or Northern Ireland. But the other horn of the dilemma is to live with the uncomfortable inconsistency that one is, in fact, in objective reality, a subject, an extremely reluctant subject, trapped, imprisoned in a political system one does not endorse and which one would heartily wish to be abolished and replaced by something different. I hope I have not been unfair to Republicans. Although I do not share their convictions, I have tried to describe their position fairly and sympathetically. Yes, you might be saying, but this is supposed to be a sermon about God, not a lecture on the British Constitution. And you are right. But I have started like this because I believe it all has very strong spiritual parallels. Statistically, kings and kingdoms are mentioned in the Bible way over 3,000 times. That's an average of about 2.6 times on every single page throughout the entire Old Testament and New Testament. And by no means are all these references good. On the contrary, there are an awful lot of very bad kings and kingdoms about which makes it all the more important for us to pray for discernment as we reflect on this extremely important topic. Let's first make one fairly obvious distinction. Our modern monarchy is very different from any kind of kingship we, have, we find either in the Bible or in our own British history. Our present day version is only a pale shadow a watered-down reflection of the real power and, and authority enjoyed by, say, Henry VIII, or Herod the Great, or Nebuchadnezzar, or David, or Pharaoh. So when Jesus is presented to us as our king, we are not being offered a mere figurehead, a purely representative head of state, as it were. Oh, no. Jesus is proclaimed to us as a real ruler whose will and whose word are to be obeyed and shall eventually prevail throughout the entire universe. He has both the right to command and also the means to enforce compliance. That baby who began his earthly life being announced as the king of the Jews grows up to become the man who deliberately and ostentatiously claims that title for himself 
on Palm Sunday and who is later revealed to be the ultimate King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So then, what does kingship actually entail? What is a king for? What is his job or his role among people? Surely it is the privilege and responsibility of a king to do two principal things. Externally, he is to deliver his people from their enemies. Internally, he is to govern his people with justice. Now at last we are getting down to the nitty-gritty. Are not these two very things a fair summary of what our King Jesus came to do, has done, is still doing, and will eventually bring to completion? Firstly, as to delivering us from our enemies, Jesus says to Pilate, my kingship is not from this world. In other words, he is no threat to earthly rulers provided they attempt to do their job properly. As, for instance, many would say most of England's queens have certainly done. No, on a much bigger scale, our real enemies from whom King Jesus delivers us are such as the world, the flesh and the devil, and ultimately death itself, and especially the last two, Satan and the hordes of fallen angels and fallen human beings who choose to align themselves with him. In Revelation 17, 14, we read, they will make war on the Lamb, i.e. Jesus, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And then death itself. In 1 Corinthians 15, 25, we read, he, Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. 3,000 years ago, King David was not without his faults. Yet, in military terms, as the defender of God's people, David never lost a battle. 2,000 years ago, the son of David, our King Jesus, utterly devoid of any personal faults, in spiritual terms, never lost a battle. Not in his early temptations and confrontations with demons, not in Gethsemane, not on the cross, not in his glorious resurrection and ascension, did our King Jesus ever lose a battle. He fought for us. He fought to deliver us from our enemies. For us, he defeated the great liar and tempter and accuser of humanity. And so Jesus set us free, free from guilt before the law, free from enslavement to sin, free from liability to eternal punishment, to use his own phrase as recorded for us by Matthew. This unique Jesus is our wonderful, victorious King who has delivered us from all our enemies. Blessing and honour and glory and power be to him forever and ever. Amen. So much for dealing with our enemies. Secondly, as to governing his people with justice. Governments make laws for the people they govern. Bad governors 
make bad laws for their own advantage and profit by oppressing and exploiting the people. Good governors make laws for the welfare of their people. Jesus, the King of love, makes laws for the benefit of us, his people, for our peace, for our health, for our well-being and flourishing and joy. When Jesus tells us to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, when he tells us to love our neighbours as ourselves, and when he amplifies those two great laws in his wonderful and breathtaking Sermon on the Mount, when he does that, is he trying to crush us and subdue us and oppress us and exploit us for his own selfish advantage? No, certainly not. On the contrary, his purpose is that we should find peace and prosperity and fulfillment and wholeness. Let's just suppose for a moment that Jesus had said opposite things. Suppose he had said, you should ignore the distant creator and focus on things much closer to home. You should pursue ambition and success and money and power. You should be responsible only for yourself. Promote your own self-interest and leave others to take care of themselves and so on and so forth. What kind of people would that have made us? Would that have made us happy, mature, wise and contented people? I think not. No. But in reality, Jesus' kingly governing of us is the outflowing of his love and longing for our health and happiness in learning to be like him in reverence and humility and in active mutual care and concern for each other. That is the kind of king Jesus is and that is the kind of people he wants and commands us to be. Sadly, there will always be some people who will say to and of Jesus, not my king. In Luke's account of Palm Sunday, immediately before it, Jesus tells a parable in which some of the people are saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Let us not identify with them. Much better that we should, in our hearts and minds, throw down our coats in the road before him and wave our palm branches to welcome him as our king of kings. Under his protection, we are safe and secure. Under his reign, we are free to flourish. And as I was preparing this, there sprang to my mind a beautiful phrase from our church's liturgy. It comes from the Collect for Remembrance Sunday of all things when it speaks of his just and gentle rule. Isn't that a lovely phrase? I think we can do no better now than to conclude this morning's meditations by praying that very prayer. So as we sit, let us pray. Almighty Father, whose will is to restore all things in your beloved Son, the King of all, Govern the hearts and minds of those in authority and bring the families of the nations divided and torn apart by the ravages of sin to be subject to his just and gentle rule who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.